Cars on Call is a different car podcast. Two car guy physicians join noted automotive authority, Adams Hudson, to discuss car topics you won't find anywhere else. I'm Steve Schutz, and I've been publishing new car reviews for almost 30 years. Stefan Moran is a trauma surgeon who has published articles in the automotive safety literature and operated on countless car crash victims. And Adams Hudson is a now-retired successful businessman who has bought, sold, and owned over a hundred top-shelf enthusiast cars. Welcome to Cars on Call. Welcome to Cars on Call. I am Steve Schutz, and I'm here along with co-hosts, trauma surgeon Stefan Moran and automotive expert aficionado, etc. Adams Hudson. And I'm, I'm really psyched to see you guys because this is episode 52, which means we've been doing this for a year. And of course, you know, it's Stefan and I mostly early on, and then we added a huge addition, which is Adams. Adams, I hope you're having fun with this. I am having fun with this. I'm happy to be on the anniversary show, and I'm kind of kind of glad to have caught this wave. I just think it's it's remarkable what you guys have accomplished in the year and just brought a lot of fresh and interesting, fun topics out there that not being covered elsewhere. So happy to play a role. Well, man, we're just glad to have you. You know, it's a duet for a long time, and I think this will be the best menage a trois I ever get in my lifetime. <laughs> so welcome to the show. <laughs> it's this uh, three-way, like, this three-way. Hey, we can wind it up there. Here. Everyone drive safely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. our life. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Uh, there's nothing, Stefan, like a menage a trois on Zoom. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> anyway, we're going to go through some of the topics that we've done over the last year, and there have been a lot of good ones, uh, certainly a lot of fun ones. But Stefan, there's, there's three that kind of come to mind that really took a lot of our time. If you had told me when you and I, uh, and Adams, you too, if you told the three of us that you're going to start a car podcast and it's going to be about different topics, all automotive, with a focus on automotive safety from the trauma surgeon standpoint, which is what Stefan brings. And oh, by the way, you're going to spend a disproportionate amount of time talking about a ship called the Felicity Ace. I would have said, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we, we've been talking cars for so long and you always told me stuff you know you need to write a book about your experience and you need to write editorials to the different magazines about automotive safety you've got in ideas and insights and experience and you know, i did the talk circuit for a long time and then that kind of went away and and i never got much to writing and this has been a great outlet for me to preach get on my soapbox on automotive safety and this is way more is going to reach more people than if I wrote down a bunch of these stories and it's going to leave a legacy. And I think it's a fabulous way to get to the crowd. And I think as our listener listener base grows, I'm no longer doing trauma surgery, but if somebody will make a choice or decision based upon what I preach about automotive safety, I will be continuing to do my job as a trauma surgeon and saving lives. And for me, this is a fabulous outlet as you as now welcome to the club 60 and over steve-o as we look back on our lives what we continue to do so it's been fabulous and bringing adams on board and my old buddies from montgomery who the first time we met just like you steve-o within five minutes we knew we had a love for cars and uh he, adams has just been a tremendous addition to the show with his insight and his wit and we've come a long way in a year you know 90 percent of podcasts don't even make it a year 
So we've done that. There are gazillions of podcasts, about 850,000 active, about 30 million published out there. But if you think about YouTube, they've got 37 million channels. But people do way more listening to podcasts. And only 53% have published over 200 episodes. We're going to make it. And the other thing about a podcast, which I listened to Matt Farah one time on the smoking gun and he about his podcast issue. And he stated it took three years for them to monetize their podcast. We're not here to monetize. We're just three old guys that like talking cars that want to share our opinion. I want to make automotive safety changes. Steve-O, this is your new focus in life. I mean, three. Oh, I get it. I'm like, we don't even get the listeners. We don't even get the podcast done. And Steve is already texting me about next week's podcast. So, and then Adam was getting bored down there, and his wife thanked me so much for giving Adam something to do because <laughs> she married him for life and love and not for lunch. And she was tired of seeing him all the time. So it's been a wonderful year and it's just, it's been a fabulous time. You've taken me off the street and kept me out of trouble. And for that, she is eternally grateful. <laughs> well, um, you know, I have always valued uh, your perspective, Stefan, because you have done not only research and car accidents and car trauma, and not only taking care of many, many patients, countless patients that have been injured in car accidents, but you've done work with Mercedes, Volvo, and other uh, manufacturers. And that perspective is very valuable. And you're bringing that to our listeners every week, which is fantastic. And Adams, with your collector car knowledge and your collector car <laughs> experience, I'm still like blown away. You have had uh, 40 muscle cars. So, I mean, it's just, it's so cool with your I don't tell a lot of people that perspective. Uh, uh, by the way, Adam, did you go through as many women before you finally picked Marsha? <laughs> I mean, or was, was she like the one when you like fell in love, like a 62 GTO, or did you just keep trading up? That's an entirely different podcast, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's move on. Um, so, uh, the Felicity Ace were the only podcast that pointed out that this is a transport ship with a stripper name. And uh, I still think that's oh, nobody else caught the photo with the pole on the ship. You know, I mean, that, I mean, it's a ship that kept going down. I mean, yeah. so. <laughs> and boy, did it ever. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I see a theme emerging on the one year anniversary show. <laughs> we started off with menage a trois and suddenly a ship is going down. Yeah. You, you know, there's another incredible thing. And I, and Steve, you, you being the planner, you are, you probably planned this. This is the exact one year anniversary of its departure from port. This no way today. <laughs> oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Yep. I didn't know that. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, that's hysterical. It didn't quite make it, however, as you guys reported. Yeah, like the uh the SS Minnow, it was a three-hour tour that turned out to be a lot longer. And uh, of course, more fatal than the SS Minnow. Two and a half hours of that was going straight down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, amazing, you know, Porsches, Audis, very famously, uh, the last Aventadors ever made. Of course, they had to remake them and numerous Bentleys. So an amazing story that gave us information and uh, grist for our mill for a long time. And then, of course, the Forerunner. Uh, I'll tell you an update. You know, the reason the Forerunner came up was that I work with young, smart, ambitious and accomplished nurses. And you would think in this era, they would all be interested in electric cars and they seem to all be interested in a forerunner. 
and that's true. And here we are a year later. I went out to uh, have a drink with a surgeon friend of mine who's very accomplished also. And he said, uh, Porsches, he's partial to Volkswagens, but he's had Porsches, including a recent Boxster just a couple of years ago. And uh, he got divorced and he's into outdoor activities more than he was. And he just bought a new Forerunner. So it's like they just, we can't escape it, Stefan. I, you know, I, I was fine with it. You mentioned it. And then you talked about how they're everywhere. And it's like, they are. I just, every time I see a Forerunner, it just kind of pisses me off because there's so many of them out there. And <laughs> it's a, such an age old platform. Safety wise, they're not great. They sell them like hotcakes. They haven't done any money to improve them. It needs to be a unitized body. It needs to weigh less, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, they're making a fortune off those things. So it's essentially a 20 year old vehicle. And, and, uh, Adams, have you ever owned a Forerunner? I have not. I, I had my 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 trusty and beloved Tundra, the the O three step side Tundra V eight that I enjoyed a lot. But I mean, the uh, Forerunner we're talking about was launched in two thousand nine. I mean, this is and the platform you could argue it was two thousand three. Well, that's exactly exactly the the, the current body, the so called current body is ancient, and the underpinnings are more ancient than that. And yeah, they. Not only do they still sell incredibly well, but their retention of value is on up there in cars that were designed one year ago. It's a just Forerunner and Tacoma. Yep, those two cars for they got to be like two of the top highest resale values. It's astounding. I mean, the Toyota Forerunner is basically the Morgan Freeman of the automotive world. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's reliable, it's trustworthy, it's capable, and it's just, you know, face it, Toyota, it is old, but I can understand your resistance to changing it. It doesn't change, and it's a perennial success story. They don't advertise it, they don't discount it, they don't change it, they don't update it, and it just sells and sells and sells and sells. And I think there's a lesson there. And you look at all these BEVs, we talked about the, about the Taycan last week, and I think there's a lesson in, in the uh, in the forerunner. And Stefan, you said something I think very prescient, if that's the right word. You talked about uh, I think very eloquently the Teslafication of the car sale market or car sales. And I think you, that was a year ago, and here we are a year later. We're seeing more and more Teslafication of car sales. Absolutely, Jim Farley of Ford is going to branch out the Ford division. He got tired of it. And clearly we're seeing not only in the way that cars are going to be sold, people are buying them online. They don't want the dealer experience because it's never been a great experience. But yeah, they have changed the way that people buy cars and they've also changed the EV industry. They basically created the EV industry. I mean, everybody said it couldn't be done. Elon Musk got it done. Fabulous designer with the Type S, the three, not so much, but the cars have held to this date. They had some quality issues. They got through it, but those cars hold their value. And um, yep, Elon Musk and the Tesla truly changed the automotive industry. Turned them upside down. Did he did everything people told them that he couldn't do? And oh, by the way, he does SpaceX too. He got that to work. So yeah, they he changed the industry. And the, the industry has become complete Teslafication of the automotive industry, and we're going to see a huge change in. The other companies trying to play catch up, and uh, Ford is moving ahead quickly with this. And you know, hats off to Jim Farley on that. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I want to get your input, Adams. But the idea that you could buy your car on a phone, it shows up in about a week at your house, 
If you don't like it in a week, you can send it back and get all your money back. Those are all great things. And oh, by the way, once you have your car, you can get into it and start it and drive it away using just your phone. That is the future. And then, of course, it has the infrastructure. Automotive News had an article just this week talking about how the non-Tesla charging infrastructure is having all kinds of problems. They set up all these chargers, and many of them are breaking down. So while they were more reliable maybe six months ago, people are showing up and they're trying to charge, and the infrastructure of the charger doesn't work. We talked about it last week with the Tycon where these chargers weren't working. So this Teslafication, I think, is intensifying, and, and I like that. That was your term, Stefan. Adams, any thoughts about it? I'll totally agree with both you guys in talking about how EVs, you know, prior to Tesla, EVs were just nerdsville. I mean, they were like for, you know, what we used to consider, you know, the sort of the the, the tree-hugging, owl-kissing sort of contention that just decided that they were going to go to work and back, and that was it, you know, on, on, on just a, a minimal charge. But when Tesla came out, it was suddenly cool. It was overnight from nerdy to cool, and they did a remarkable job on that, just, just as, far the, as far as the branding. And it could be argued, though I, I would love to give Tesla all the credit that they deserve, that Tesla was actually Amazoning their own model of car sales. And if you consider, you know, how many products are, are within the Amazon world and how many storefronts and how many parking lots and how many cities would it take to duplicate what Amazon has done with the one-click purchase? And so, yeah, Tesla has certainly taken a page or two or 10 out of that book and done an incredible job with a very old industry. And, you know, if you ride through towns and you just sort of glance over the biggest real estate gobblers by far are not just the malls that are sadly too many sitting empty, but it's the automobile dealerships and the 100 car lot, 200 car lot spaces are largely empty now due to supply chain issues. And Tesla, I don't think they're laughing like in a, oh, we told you so way, but I think they're very glad that they didn't make the real estate investment a lot of car dealers did. Yeah, great points, Adam. And we did talk about Jeff Bezos and Amazon early on in the show when we we're talking about the testification of the automotive industry. And Jim Farley clearly has picked up on this because when in the new electric division for Ford, if they want to sell Ford electric vehicles, the dealer has to install chargers. So you think about it, there's a lot of Ford. I, I pass by like four Ford dealers when I drive to work. It would be easy for me to pull into a Ford dealership, get a little boost, and I think that's a very, very wise move because he knows that the infrastructure, truck stops of America has agreed to now put some chargers, but they're just not going to be enough. But if every Ford dealer, every General Motors dealer, every Stellantis Chrysler dealer put one charger in that was compatible, I mean, there's your infrastructure immediately. Very yeah, true. Yeah, yep. we talked about uh, not only that, because I think you're right about that, Stefan, but we also talked about maybe we're going to see some differentiation in Porsche, Mercedes, and some of the higher-end brands putting in their own chargers that are nicer in nicer places in their dealerships. Maybe they've got a an espresso bar and that kind of thing there, um, or a Mercedes or Porsche or Audi charger next to really nice restaurants. I can see that kind of thing happening too. I love Jack, Farley's want- ideas, but to but to move on, if uh, I mean Farley, that that that's a great idea. He needs to start figuring out how to produce some of the cars he's pre-sold, which is probably <laughs> another 
another podcast. And how about maybe raise the quality? They were they were down there at the bottom, right above Range Rover and uh, I think Jaguar. Oh, like I, th- I looked at the list. I was like, I could not believe they're the bottom four of reliability right now. Yeah, oh, Mercedes, Mercedes was low too, which was surprising. So, uh, there's some work that has to be done by many of these brands for quality. And yeah, we'll we'll continue to watch this. I think it's, uh, I think it's fascinating. And anyway, moving on. Uh, again, we've Wait, done just year- real quick though. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're doing a year in review. My my little bro, Eric, he my little brother, he listens to this show. And uh he's been doing a lot of walking, working out, and and he's like, Man, you you just beat up on EVs all the time. So today I'm just saying we have said all positive, little bro, about electric vehicles. <laughs> we have I have not said a single negative thing today. So sh- so shout out to little brother. Okay. Yeah. I'm not gonna say a negative thing today about EVs. The show is young, Eric. The show is young. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we um, we have covered a lot about electric vehicles. And, and the only reason I think that we've mentioned some negativity about BEVs is just because there's too much do enthusiasm, <laughs> too much enthusiasm in uh, kind of what I would call the, the regular media outlets and not enough skepticism to say, hey, infrastructure and battery range and battery life, that kind of thing. And we've, we've addressed that. Stefan, we've addressed some other issues too. Just go through them kind of just for our listeners. Some of the things we've talked about that I, I would say no one else is talking about, which is kind of the point of the show, but I think kind one of go my through favorite, the list. Okay. Yeah. One of my favorite episodes, we did uh, the rendezvous movie. Oh yeah. And um, you know, when, we were growing up young back in the days of VHS tapes, which yes, people that is after eight track in beta, but he had a hard time getting this VHS tape, but this is the guy that drives supposedly a Ferrari through Paris. It's not actually, it's a Mercedes and there's a lot of shifting, but you get a great view of Paris and it is, it was a complete cult film. And even to this day, it is absolutely fascinating and enjoyable to watch. And uh, we covered all the, facts and the fallacies and the myth about the rendezvous movie i love that episode because for me i've driven those streets in paris and i love paris and um, yeah your your mom being from france and you having so many trips there you had so many insights about the locations and you know the exact route those are all roads you've driven on uh the only thing you didn't note uh which i i still can't believe the only thing you didn't catch in the rendezvous movie, you caught every single like boulangerie and whatever and street and all these locations. You missed the one Mustang in the rendezvous. I hope I know, you, saw, you told I hope me about it and it. I had to go back and watch it. I mean, you and there it? it was. Yeah. yeah. But so that was it. That was a great one. What do you would think about that? You weren't on that show, Adams yet. What do you think about that movie? I loved that movie. I didn't know if I wanted to, if I was to weigh in here, because I know you're sort of covering a little bit trip down memory lane. But when that thing came out, I mean, listeners are going to have to sort of consider the times like Steph was sort of like, like a framing there. We didn't have anything that resembled the Internet. You couldn't just peel up a movie and watch it when you felt like it. It was no, Al Gore had not invented the Internet yet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> he, was, yeah. he was working on it. He was working on it. Yeah. yeah. But you know that 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 movie was so underground and almost black market. It was like, oh, have you seen it? No, I've not seen it. Well, I know somebody who's seen it, and they can get get their hands on it. I mean, it was so rare. And I remember when I saw it, I watched it speechless for the duration. 
And mainly it is the sounds of that engine going up and down and shifting and braking and up and and barely missing past people on the street and barely missing cyclists. And I did not rewatch. I haven't re-seen that in probably more than 10 years. And I vividly remember lots of scenes from that. Well, it's on YouTube and you can watch it on YouTube. Um, I, I, I'm going to do that after this episode. It was thrilling. Yes. I completely agree. I, I'd heard about it. I'd heard rumors and I finally got a chance to watch it. Now you can watch it easily at any time. The only thing I think that's similar is something called heavy metal parking lot. Uh, oh, which I is love a, that one. Which is a, oh a my god, a, that's so funny. <laughs> underground <laughs> video where these guys video interviews at a Judas Priest concert parking lot uh in, in Washington, the Capitol Center in Washington, DC. And that is 16 minutes of just like holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> We had some great guests. Uh, Jeff Bank, uh, one of my partners, was on twice. And then we had Dennis Carter, who's a, uh, a retired obstetrician who went to the Air Force Academy. And he mentioned something, one of the more interesting, amazing stats of the whole show. Out of his 1974 class from the university, or I'm sorry, the Air Force Academy, 750 graduates, 400 of them, senior year, bought brand new Corvettes. Isn't that crazy? That's absolutely crazy. Wow. And I think you calculated that at the, at the time, he said because they were cool and they were inexpensive and they were, I guess, you know, relatively instant chick magnets. And I think you calculated the then current price versus today. And it was like a a 30 something thousand dollar car. I mean, it was affordable. Right. It wasn't free, but it was affordable. That was That's crazy that they sold that many and. Yeah, that was a great story. I was I was not on that episode and I listened to it, but yeah, that was fabulous. All right, let's see what else did we do next. How about the Jack Roush interviews? They were awesome. Uh, I drove up to Michigan. I got I but met before with you Jack. say that, before you yeah. say that, you saved his life. He crashed his airplane and you were his trauma surgeon. Well, yeah, just a minor detail in our history. <laughs> <laughs> but he you know, but he's like, you know, but the minute if you when you meet Jack Roush and I'm with him. The first thing he says is, this is a guy that declared me brain dead. Is it, the first words out of his mouth. And <laughs> what is that? It's, it's kind of true, true, right? It's, it's kind of true, yeah. Re repeat that story because that's a that's cool. And so I was on call, and this is a funny story. Um, so my senior partner, Lauren Rue, he was the chief of trauma at UAB. And one time the, the president was coming to town, and uh, he said, Sherry, you're on call. Sherry Melton was one of the other trauma surgeons. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, the president's coming to town. The boss needs to be on call. <laughs> and I said, so Loring, uh, why, why is Sherry on call and not you? He goes, I'm not going to be known as a trauma surgeon that didn't save the president's life. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have a little more confidence in that. I would have, yeah, no, I, I could have done it. But I'm like thinking, it's all about you, not the, no, it's about the president. It's not about you. But um, anyway, so anyway, I was on call for Talladega because I wasn't going to the race. I'd been the year before. And interestingly, the year before, uh, Gil Weidman was a retired OBGYN. He knew I was doing the Mercedes-Benz research, and Dale Earnhardt, Earnhardt had just died before that. He's like, you need to come out, look at these cars. NASCAR needs your help. So Gil bought some tickets, and he dragged me out to the race. And we were walking across the pits, and here comes Jack Roush. And uh, I recognized the cat in the hat, of course. And uh, 
a lady got his autograph in front of us and I just reached out my hand and said, uh, how are you doing, Mr. Uh, Roush? I have a good race today. And he stopped, shook my hand and said hello. And I didn't ask him for an autograph and he moved on. And a year later, he was my patient. He was um, flying an airplane with Wiley Sanders down in Troy, Alabama. And he clipped the power line, went into a pond and self-extricated out. And the story got blown up in the media that he drowned underwater and CPR and all this. And there is some truth, not a whole lot of truth, a lot of pieces missing. But he got a lot of medication. They paralyzed him and they re-paralyzed him and they re-paralyzed him. And he got this and it had been a couple of hours and he was doing nothing. The CT scan then wasn't as good as today and brain looked awful. And I hung a little black crepe with the family and his brother and Mark Martin and Jeff Burton. And, and then I sent him to the ICU after we pulled bone out of his leg and put catheters in his brain and did all kinds of stuff. And I get a call from the nurse. I'm in, I slept in the hospital on call. Then I get a call like to him. She's like, he's hit raising hell. I'm like, what do you mean? He's raising hell. He's like brain dead. She goes, no, he is raising hell, writing me notes, want to know what the hell happened. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I got out of bed and I went over there. And he was madder than hell, writing notes, like one note, if people were okay, did I crash the plane? And I had to explain everything to him. And it took, it took about another, I think, five days to get him off the ventilator because he sucked down Alabama pond water, which is, I would not recommend that to anybody. Plus, it was mixed with the uh, plane fuel, wasn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he got Making burned. It worse. Larry Hicks. Larry Hicks is the Marine who helped helped them out of the water, got them to shore, and both of them did have burns from the aviation fuel. Was, of course, it floats on top of the water. They both had chemical burns from that. So, yeah, that's the backstory on Jack. So, I drove up there, and but before you before you move on, it's worth noting that media reports at the time, and we can all agree. They couldn't have been true. I mean, if he had actually drowned the way he did, he wouldn't have survived. So some of the media reports were incorrect and certainly exaggerated. And you and he corrected them. And and I think our show is the first time where people have really gotten the absolute accurate record from not only his physician, but him himself. Him and, himself you, yep. you, and, and you interviewed him. So, yeah, you, you drove up and you talked to him. So we had a good time. I got to drive the, his... Uh a 69 429 boss mustang which is number 429 serial number got to drive that and i i drove his sema mustang and we had a blast told lots of stories and swam in his pool and drank some wine and it was just a wonderful time to to get together with him and physician patient friend to friend and it was, it was a wonderful experience we played a lot of those interviews and i still have a lot of i guess you'd call them basement tapes of stuff that we haven't published on this podcast. I'll go, I've got to finish those up. So that was a, those were great episodes, a lot of lead up to that. And I think we've also had a ton of fun over the last year with car spotting of just crazy cool cars from era long ago. I don't know no, which, I think the two of the most memorable had to be the Mustang two and the Aztec. I mean, I think those were the two. <laughs> and oh my God, it's like, <laughs> Brian Cranston and meth cooking Aztec and, and a Mustang too, which is just, oh, as a Mustang owner, it just gives me the chills to even think about the Mustang too. I walk to work most days and every, you know, whenever I walk to work, I actually walk by this Mustang too. 
It's a derelict car. It's in a yard. It's in a backyard. And I'm sure it hasn't moved in 15 or 20 years. It's completely, completely terrible. But I do it's see because it. because it can't move. <laughs> I don't think it would. Yeah, it's it's completely just sad. But by the way, what Stephon, was that? What was that Twitter picture I sent of a tornado went through like a trailer park, and the yeah. only thing left standing was a Mustang too? And what was the comment? I can't. They said, "Even God can't you, kill a Mustang too." Even no, yeah. even God doesn't <laughs> want a Mustang. Too. Even yeah. God doesn't want a Mustang. <laughs> doesn't too. want a Mustang I mean, too. He took the house, but I'm like, I'm not because I don't want the Mustang I too. That that's proving his eternal wisdom. It was the. Yeah. It was not only a Mustang too. It was the King Cobra Ooh. version, which I think <laughs> took it from 112 horsepower to 116 um, well, just well, up to 10 more for the stripes <laughs> yeah and by the way every car spotting we have done stefan either you or i have done we actually have pictures and it's on the website so they're, they're all legit so i guess that's it for looking back but um adams uh we have yes, a car sir. spotting a new car spotting and jaguar xk8 i let's let's move on from looking back let's look forward and this was uh, a cool car, Adams. I thought it was. And, and, and Steph, I appreciated the rest of retrospective on, on, on Jack Roush. And, and, and to spend 15 more seconds, you were kind enough to invite me to a, uh, a Daytona event with Jack, who he knew me from absolutely no one. He could not have been more hospitable nor charitable with his time. I, I would like to say that if there's ever a NASCAR Mount Rushmore, his face needs to be on it. A great hey. American man. You were there, Adams. Tell the story about, remember, we were coming out of the race and we're in the right-hand lane and he threw yes. the Lincoln Continental sideways. Finish the story. Yes, <laughs> oh yes. yes. Okay, let, 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 let's remember what? that. What <laughs> yeah. happened? Yeah. We're in a rented Lincoln Town car, I believe. Yeah, it's a town car. Yeah, a big old fat Lincoln Town car. That uh, pre the, the reason why the, um, the sidewalls were excessively worn when we were driving on the street is that Jack had been up on what I presume to be something like a 30 or 35 degree bank on Daytona going the wrong way with me and Stefan in the back seat laughing uncontrollably <laughs> with Big Jack at the wheel. Not Big Jack, but I mean, he was he was big does. He was king that night. So he's going around Daytona. We are laughing like children. He exits the arena, the, the, the stadium, the race, and we're on the street. We are still giddy. I'm still wiping tears out of my eyes. And we're going one way down a divided road. There's a little small median in the middle. And we're just cruising along. We're sort of talking, sort of reliving the night. You know, what did Mark Martin do? What happened with this other episode? And suddenly he flies over the median, whipping the wheel left. We yank right as we bounce over this thing. And I thought he'd lost control. And we wheel into a Dunkin' Donuts at probably 1130 at night. Oh, no, no, it was Krispy Kreme. The light was on. It said hot now. It was Krispy Kreme. It was a Krispy Krispy Kreme. Kreme, And it said hot now. And it's and it's flashing, and and we whip up looking like what just happened. And Jack leans around, cool as he can be, and says, "I break for donuts." (laughs) (laughs) Wow, true, true. And the other the other funny part of that night was we were leaving the track, and he threw two wheels up on the curb to get around a bunch of cars, and almost clipped a telephone pole. And he looked back and said, "Don't worry, guys, I've got plenty of." Ford spare part. <laughs> <laughs> what a man and what a character that is totally. so 
amazing and we have them on our show there you go and i and i guess we were we were with a a, a mildly insucinct sort of segue go right into the xk8 and my own ford owned them at the time that's as close there as you I go can get to right, a segue. Uh, but but the xk8 i remember when when that car was launched, it was like finally Jaguar has come out with the proper E-Types successor because you know the XJS absolutely was not it. Let's just be fair. And then the X, XK8 launched, and you know it was a it was a pretty handsome car. Uh, it probably had the longest gestation period of any follow up car other than maybe the mid engine Corvette. And so that that car pops out, and you know we waited twenty two years for it to come out, so it looked kind of good, you know, comparatively. And it, it wasn't as cool as the F-type. So let's just sort of say that, you know, it sort of like like built that 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 middle gap. And uh, it was designed by a guy named Fergus Pollock, who was working under Jeff Lawson. The DB7, the Aston DB7, which was designed largely alongside, and they both, get this, had the XJS rear suspension, at least in their first uh, iteration. The DB7 looked so much like the XK eight and it shared so many of its components that a lot of the uh aston pundits called it the jag and drag oh oh, oh. i think i think both the db7 and the xk8 were on a modified xjs platform and it wasn't just the suspension there was more that was because they, they they had limited budget so they put them both on the same platform is my recollection no, I think you're right. You know, and if you read, you have to read between the lines because it talks about the underpinnings and the platform and certainly the rear suspension. And I think a second gen of each car came out that sort of eschewed that and sort of like went to a slightly more modern version. Right. But, you know, in, in, in one hand, you could say, well, the XJS at least lived on like decently because those were not considered bad performers in their day. The the XK8 had about 300 horsepower, which sounds terrible by, con- by today's standards, but, you know, a, an accurate NSX only had 290. So it's not like we're talking about, you know, a dog here. But the the crazy thing, you know, as good looking as that car was by comparison to the XJS, is that it had like a 102 inch wheelbase, but the car was 185 inches long. So if you're going to do the math and subtract for the center line of the wheels, blah, blah, you still have about five feet of overhang front and rear to divide. And that car looked a mile long and it had little bitty minuscule seats, but it was cool to see one on the street because you just don't see them much. They've gotten so cheap and a little bit overlooked. I mean, I think they're actually a value, especially the um, the XKR. I think that is probably a performance value waiting to happen. Yeah, that's a supercharged version and it had very good performance. I've driven the XK8, the first gen, uh, yes. Along with the first gen XJR, which uh, XKR, which uh, mm-hmm. which drove very well, had a lo- very loud supercharged whine. Uh, I do remember there was very little room for luggage or anything like that. It didn't make a lot of sense, but I thought it was it was a pretty good looking car. Are they desirable as collectors, um, Adams? They're actually not, Steve, and I think their 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 awful resale value pretty well summarizes that. I mean, maybe people are just scared of them. They really do not have an unreliable reputation after about 2002 because they had weak uh, nylon timing chain guides. And if you skip a link on that, you can only imagine what happens to a car. You know, you got a $10,000 car with an $8,000 motor, and if you wreck the motor, that's the end of that. But, you know, I think the XKRs after about 2002, 
and by the way, it used to eat in supercharger out of a F-150 Lightning, boys and girls. That's really? Yes, sir. Same oh, open. wow. That's yeah. That's cool. It popped out about 100 extra horsepower. So you're talking <laughs> 390 now. And it's, you know, it's pretty good looking, you know, and they had a ton of special editions, you know, the limited, the 100, the Silverstone, the something else. The Neiman Marcus edition. It, it <laughs> was. Neiman. Yes. Of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yep. They added up to kind of a cool package. Go ahead. They, uh, his car was hugely luxurious inside. I mean, leather everywhere. And Jamie Clarkson famously on Top Gear likened the interior of the X8, of the XK to sitting inside Blenheim Palace. And because uh, I, mean, oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, Jerry Clarkson comes up with some of the best things. I mean, he never said farting, uh, you know, unicorn farting sprinkles or catching the Pope on fire, but he he's he, he has said to. some great things. Or uh, also to quote uh, the great trauma surgeon Stefan Moran, it looks like Enzo had sex with a geisha girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was very, out, but... it was very wood. It was very old world wooded leather. Yes. I agree. And I had that J shifter thing. Yes, yes. that was uh, the little J, which, which for the listeners who are not familiar, it was this ridiculously circuitous route to go from park all the way into a sort of a quasi automatic manual. And it made a J, which, of course, is a little bit homage to Jaguar. But it was just, it was kind of silly. It worked, but it was kind of silly. Well, you don't see many uh, XK8s around, especially the first gen. That's really cool. Stefan, I bet you don't see any in Arley. Uh, I can't say. <laughs> I, I can't even tell you last time I saw one of the things. Like they all rusted out and the engine blew up. Yeah, you don't see you don't see many around, so... Anyway, we've got to move on, and there's some uh, Formula One news that I want to talk about. And before we get there, it does remind me of a joke, Stefan. It, this is one of my favorite old jokes from a comedian called Henny Youngman, who's like 50s and 60s. And the joke is, what's the definition of mixed emotions? And the answer is, when your mother-in-law drives your brand new Cadillac over a cliff, and uh I, <laughs> that oh is God. still a good line Henny. It's, yeah. it's, it's a good joke and it reminds me of our new news in formula one because on the one hand ford is coming back to formula one on the other hand where are they going stefan oh god help us <laughs> whiny ass bitches <laughs> christian horner wannabe spice you're Girl, so psyched Queen about ford Bitty. and yet oh they're going god. to red bull Oh my God. I know. I saw it. I was just like thinking to myself when I saw the picture of Jim Farley and Christian Horner, I was just like, Oh Jesus. I mean, I just, I, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I, I drove off a cliff, Steve. Oh, that is the best <laughs> thing ever. Cause I, I, I'm like, my, my brain is split into schizophrenia. I don't even, I don't even know what to th say or think. And I, you're right. It's just well, I, I'm kind of like speechless because I I'm just I don't know what I don't know what to, I'm I'm happy and then I'm not happy and well while you're formulating bipolar answer, while you're formulating an answer and I know very little about F1 and possibly as a parallel to the Henny, Henny Youngman line what in the heck is a manufacturer who says that all they're going to do is sell trucks and SUVs and the occasional Mustang doing in the pinnacle of performance sports. Well, they are joining Red Bull's technical advisors from the electrical standpoint, as 
F1 is moving towards more hybrid, more EV, getting rid of the capacitors and all the flux capacitors, all that stuff. <laughs> it is moving towards more of a hybrid, tr a true hybrid EV. And they're bringing in Ford for that electrical expertise, not to build a new Cosworth engine, Ford Cosworth engine, unfortunately. But that's why they're bringing in Ford. I think Porsche was trying to get that deal with Red Bull and Clearly, Porsche wanted more than to just be the name on the side of the car they wanted to have involvement. There were rumination of Cadillac going in with the Andretti's, and you know they really just need to buy a team. Maybe. Well, is this Steph? Does this turn it into the world's most expensive sponsorship, or is it just a technological showcase they could have achieved elsewhere? Right now, F1 is hugely hot and on a roll in America among the younger demographics. I mean, we're going to have three races next year. You've got Drive to Survive, Housewives of F1 coming on TV. And they this is a true marking opportunity, especially with Liberty Media owning F1, that I can see why, you know, Jim Farley has been pushing the electric side of Ford heavily. And he's probably coming in at a reasonable value there is no, I mean, I've heard estimates. If you really want to get into F1, you better, I mean, it's like approaching almost a billion dollars, apparently, to really come in and have a competitive team and show it, it's, it's just, it's, it's insanely expensive. So I think this is a way to get into it. And they're going to be in it. The, there's only, there's three teams in Formula One Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari. Everybody else, is they're just bit players. They're all, they're, everybody else is just trying to be number four, but they're coming in with a top three team and the team that's won the championship last two years. They're going to get a lot of airtime. And I, I will be happy to see that blue, blue oval on the side of the car, but if a little whiny ass bitch Max has got it on his helmet, it's going to be like, oh God, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I'm still going to be a Mercedes Lewis fan and then. I'm still thinking about Le if I like Leclerc or not. He's an incredible driver. So, I think one thing I want to point out is that you know Ford does have a rich history, and back in the you know '70s yes. and '80s, uh, most and it was 80 to 90 percent of cars on the grid had a Ford Cosworth engine, and then they they went away, and of course new engines came in and new manufacturers, Honda especially, and then uh, they weirdly came back because. Jackie Stewart had a team and then they bought it and they rebranded it Jaguar and they said, all right, we're right. going to call it Jaguar. So it wasn't a Ford team, and but it was owned by Ford. It was owned by Ford. So, yeah, so Ford is really going back to one of the teams they had with Stewart. So it's, it's, the, same, it's, it's the same team. It is the same team. And you look at all the histories of these teams, they all go way back. But, so, but Stefan, here's what I think is, here's where I, I'm a little nervous about it. Cause that's the point. They're going to bring their electric expertise and add it to the internal combustion engine that Red Bull already has, which is based on a Honda. Honda, yes. So, okay, they're going to do that. But, you know, it wasn't that long ago, Stefan, I think seven, eight years ago, that the Red Bull team had a manufacturer on the side. It was Infinity because Nissan right. gave money. Well, they did nothing for Infinity. It's kind of like Aston Martin. So you're kind of seeing this honda jaguar ford am i seeing geisha girl all over again here <laughs> this is a, you're a getting strange, there you this is a strange there. marriage here 
But I hope Ford can bring something to the table. I mean, to me, if you're going to bring electrification to the table, I'd want Remac. That's who I'd want. Yes, that dude, but yeah, that dude, man, that dude is he's he's like the Elon Musk of the EV world. I mean, well, I should say he, he blows Elon Musk away when it comes to the EV technology and the motors. I mean, I want Remax name on the side of my F1 cars and move towards electrification. But I think I'm glad owned, Jim Farley's doing it though. I think well, he's let me, let me owned make by a, Volkswagen. A, a, yeah. a, a minor marketing um, comment here, Remax. I agree. They are what a performance brand. Back when Ford was was doing incredibly well in racing, they had a Ford performance division. And now, Stefan, you're much lauded and understandably so, seeing the blue oval on something that's on the F1 track is now going to be on a truck or an SUV. To me, I have a little difficulty making the mental leap from that racetrack to the showroom in a way that Remac would benefit. I don't see Ford's benefit as being anything other than, oh, yeah, we've heard of them in F1. Sorry. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Hey, we've got to move on. We'll see what happens. This is all early days for uh, for Ford and Red Bull. But uh, yeah, it is. It's a little funny, Stefan, that uh, Ford is it's your guys in there. They're with Red Bull. So moving on anyway, um, I saw an interesting graphic on Twitter and it said basically it's a full size pickup becoming a minivan. And we talked about this when we talked about the weird Ram full size electric revolution pickup and it has a third row of seats it's their jump seats but still you can fit actually eight people in one of those things and my question is is the full-size pickup truck becoming like the minivan you know and it showed the bed size versus the cabin size stefan you saw that and you have a you have a full-size truck is that unfair most people that own a truck don't use it as a truck and clearly, we see more and more vehicles in the midsize, upper-size SUV that have added third seats to appeal to urban owners. And, you know, you throw a set of jump seats in the back. Now, soccer mom, soccer dad can add a couple more kids in the back. That's going to make it, I think, a higher appeal. I mean, that's a big-ass cabin if you can have those kind of seats on a truck. I mean, I don't know what kind of bed, but apparently... Obviously, those people, the only thing they put in their bed is what they pick up at Home Depot, you know, and that may be a vacuum cleaner and um, some peat moss, and, but you know, it's not well, a real it, work truck. It's really, you know, weird in this graphic, and I'll read off some of the numbers. Uh, in the 60s and 70s and F-150, 36% of the car was non-bed and 64% was bed for hauling. And then now, 2015 to now, 2021, and this is again is from Twitter, but it's a legitimate source. 63% is cab and and hood, but only 37% is the bed. It is completely flipped. It sure has. That's an interesting stat. Well, I was I was hunting with my buddy uh, Mark Pullen a couple of weeks ago, and we go side decided to go get some to eat, so we go to Jack's to get some fried chicken. Mm, man, it was tasty, but. uh I get in the back of his Chevy pickup truck. I'm like, what the hell, dude? The, the door is like a foot and a half wide. And I'm like, my knees are up in my chest. I'm like, you know, I sit in the back of my Ford. He goes, no. He said, you have to have a full-size bed to get a tax deduction off his vehicle. So oh, I didn't side, know that. Yes. Yeah, so apparently there's a side. You have to have a six. I think it's a six-foot bed. 
you know, of course, the, the Ford is on mine is five foot. So the bigger the cabin, the smaller the bed. So that's why he had that kind of mini crew cab because he uses it for the office. And if he had a bed like mine, it wouldn't be, a, you couldn't make it a business expense. I found that interesting, but most people have a, you know, a full crew cab, which is four doors and a, a really large. I've sat in these, you know, a new F-150 or a new Silverado. I've sat in these, not the Ram, but I'm sure it's about the same. And you're very comfortable in the backseat. You can easily do a long trip back there. You don't feel crimped. But I agree, the beds are getting smaller. Yeah, they are. It's a, because people aren't using them. They're not, they're really, you know, they're, they're urban assault vehicles. They're not really work trucks anymore. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a whole lot of posturing going on with just a look, you know, the big old mean lifted truck, you know, that's got the big old roll bar and lots of lights up front. And it's the one that is, you know, eternally in the left lane. And he's the one who will come up behind you quickly and never, ever, ever get out of that lane. But it's, it's, it's interesting. I did not know that about bed link to cab link. There was some sort of dictum within the tax world. So this like means that the IRS has a small hand in making vehicles I mean, what the heck are they doing just get out of the way people if he yes. uses it for business prove it or no it doesn't matter how long the bed is that's crazy yeah it reminds me of uh the country song where it says uh i have an eight foot bed that never has to be made and uh i thought that's a great line from country music and it's what guys like about it's what guys like about a pickup truck it's uh it's just a good thing but I, I, you know, it is kind of posturing, uh, Adams. I agree with that because most people have these trucks, drive them every day to and from work. They take their kids to practice and that kind of thing, and they don't use the bed very much. They go to Home Depot, they get some stuff, they get some peat moss or something, and then they use it. But most people don't. But they use this as an everyday vehicle, which is why there's been this evolution: more space in the cabin and less space in the bed. Yeah, my brother had, he had a 250 four-door full crew cab with an eight-foot bed. That thing, I don't know if you could have driven around a high school track in the corner, that turning race, that thing was so bad, but <laughs> it was, I came out of a parking lot, had to make a, a left-hand turn. It's like, it wasn't going to make it anyway. That's, that's huge. All right. So, well, that wraps up uh, most of what we want to talk about, which brings us to uh, safety. And Stefan, you got something to talk about. And again, before we get to that, this is our one-year thing, and safety is really a cornerstone of what we talk about. It is. You know, we want to have fun talking about cars, but at the same time, I want to share my expertise in automotive safety and kind of let people know where the trends are going in cars. And hopefully, you know, so if somebody buys a car, they, they look, go to the IIHS, or they go to NHTSA site and look up car ratings and pick hopefully a five-star car instead of a four-star car or SUV, same thing. But we've talked a lot about in previous episodes about death rates going up. The United States of America is in the bottom quartile in our highway safety deaths as they should not be decreasing as we have become more and more industrialized. Well, I wanted to talk, there's, there's two really major trends right now in car design and i think this is to me this is a three-prong approach to safety first of all i've talked a lot about that our infrastructure in america is not good for pedestrians we don't have roundabouts we don't have traffic calming in our urban areas there's too many lanes and NHTSA is looking at that for the 
10% outliers where they're going to get more funding to make changes. But what's interesting is in the automotive manufacturers, you also have different approaches to safety. The two big differences that I can talk about are basically Volvo versus Mercedes-Benz and Toyota. It's not a versus as to who wins, but it's how they approach safety. So Mercedes' approach to safety has been always, how do I protect the occupant in case of a crash? So they came up with the pre-safe. And what pre-safe basically does is it optimizes the interior of the car for you as a passenger in a collision. So it does things like it brings the headrest up against your head. It brings the seat forward, the seat back forward. It slides the seat back away from the steering wheel. It tightens the seat belt. At times, the airbag's going off. They now have an airbag that goes up in between the driver and the passenger. Ford actually put in a patent for a completely circular airbag. A very interesting patent on a design. And then, of course, Mercedes also has the pre-crash assistance. They've got active distance assist, Distronic, that will help keep you from not running into somebody. So they do it as well. Volvo's approach has been similar in making the car safer, safer, but Volvo has always put the focus on the driver. If you think about that, they invented the three-point seatbelt, meaning you put the seatbelt on. So they, Volvo has this campaign and they believe that technology can save lives, but they have a safety vision that they want to aim for zero deaths in a Volvo. So they have a lot of advances in the vehicle, but they are focusing on the driver because we know, you know, most crashes are driver error. Okay. So the, all cars are safe, but what can we do to change or monitor driver behavior so they are less likely to get into crash we talked about speeding in the wrong place is a bad deal not in speeding in okay places it's in the wrong place so now with autonomous driving and lidar and radar volvo is focusing on speeding where the car is monitoring speed zones it's the car knows the road via gps senses changes in the road and we talked about this one of other episodes that they're going to actually end up with speed limiters and some countries are going to go ahead and go to speed limiters where if the speed limit is 60 miles an hour the car won't go faster than 60 we're not there yet but the technology is there volvo already has that technology so now what the car does it tells you you're speeding so they're focusing on that and then they're focusing is on dui driver intoxication volvo was the first company that came out with a interlock where people that were ordered by the court had to blow in a tube and the car wouldn't start if they had been drinking volvo had that and then the second the third area that they're focusing on is driver distraction think about it i mean i'm guilty of this i know that you know the damn mobile phone text goes off all that you're looking at the all these new fancy control panels you can't even turn the volume up now on a lot of these cars without hitting it buttons and sliding up and down so they know that driver distraction is so they are volvo has all kind of different technologies that monitor you the driver that follows your pupils your eyes it follows where your hands are on the steering wheel and it combines that data with what the autonomous driving features and capabilities of the vehicle are seeing from the road and i think i like that a lot 
I would definitely have turned that speed limiter off in the interstate when I'm, you know, when it's wide open. But I think I can understand that their approach. And if you think about typically who is driving a Volvo, these things all make sense. Uh, I'd be interesting to see if they put this in their Polestar because it's kind of the sporty EVs. So kind of two different approaches to safety. But what's interesting, these are two different approaches to how are we going to bring in autonomous driving to our vehicle? Because that's clearly the ultimate safety would be that people aren't driving cars. The car just gets on the interstate. They all follow a certain length behind. They all know when one's stopping. That's way down the road, but they're all, we're moving towards that. But the approach that the two companies have differently with that are interesting. Toyota also has, they call it Toyota Safety Sense. They call it the standard for safety. And they're just doing the pre-collision system with pedestrian detection and dynamic radar cruise control. All the things that come along as a benefit of having LIDAR, radar, and cameras that you can understand the surroundings and then notify the driver when they're basically out of bounds. Whereas Volvo is watching the driver to make sure the drivers involved, especially when they need to be. So different approaches, but I think it should be a three-prong approach, the pre-safe approach, the Volvo approach, focusing on the driver, and then we also have to have changes to our infrastructure. Stefan, you just you 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 never fail to 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 bring a lot of a lot of things to light that that certainly I'm not thinking about. And I hope for listeners they're sort of like, wow, that is interesting. That's different. This is going in a in a direction that is worthy of of, of research analysis and then decision. It sounds like a lot of these uh, manufacturers are going down the road of like once the car is on, in other words, sort of a post-ignition analysis of what's happening within the vehicle and the last second, you know, savior of the of the bags coming out from every possible slot, crevice or orifice. What the heck is happening with the money to be spent on training the driver before they ever open the door? Because it seems to me a lot of this inattention behavior, a lot of the I don't know how to get out of the left lane. A lot of the, I've never used a blinker in, the, in my life. What the heck is that stupid stalk doing? I mean, we see this every day. And I, and please, for the listeners out there, I'm not being callous about what we actually term as accidents. However, there's a lot of stupidity that causes what we call accidents. Yeah, there, you know, I, I don't like to use the word an accident. I mean, if you're texting on your phone and you crash, that is not an accident, okay? accidents are acts of god if you're driving down the car and you're you're driving down the road and you get struck by lightning okay that's an accident yeah yeah your tire driving the brakes go out if you're driving down the road and an asteroid flies out of the sky meteor hits you in the car that's an accident you don't check your tire pressure ever and it's bald and you go off a corner in a on a wet road that's not an accident okay that's inattention to what you need to be operating that vehicle that's why pilots have checklists you know, kick the tires, light the fire, go through your systems. And Steph, when, when you're talking about just, just the tire, you know, right now we have tire monitoring. It warns you. It tells you that the left rear is down X number of pounds. We are so babied in this regard. Is there any money being spent to, to train drivers how to be better drivers? Not in this country. Wow. Yeah, but you're t- you know, you were talking about the lights in the cars. Like, have you ever said, uh, honey, how long has that light been on? Uh, what light? Yeah, you know, so I, I think mean, it's one under yeah. the electrical tape. It does seem like it's <laughs> kind of, you know, this is, you know, we could talk about this topic for a long time, but I think a lot of it is cultural. I think that ultimately 
you know, we talk about how much money there should be for driver training. Well, guess whose job that should be and historically was? Parents. And in the 1950s and 1960s, parents taught their kids how to drive. And uh, I guarantee, uh, I hate to be a smartass, but they were so good back then. Kids in the 50s and 60s were never on their cell phones. Ha, ha, ha. Anyway, <laughs> no, it's 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 a parental failure. And it, we all taught our kids how to drive and not to stay in the left lane and to use their blinkers. And unfortunately, too many kids don't get parental training. And I think that's a real problem. I think in Germany, they do a better job. Do schools even have driver's ed anymore? I mean, no. I used to see all the time, car, you know, you go down the road, the big sign driver's ed, you're like, you know, you like get over as far away as you could from the vehicle. But I don't see those anymore. No, you're right. Not anymore. Not anymore. So, they, they don't have home ec and they don't have, um, you know, the the classes that teach you about um, how to balance a checkbook. Yes. All those types of things. They don't have, and they don't have, yeah, they don't have driver's ed. Yeah. Anyway, all right. This right. we're going to touch on all those. You know, Adam's this autonomy, is an ongoing subject, yeah. Autonomy and stuff like that. We're going to get to. We're out of time now, but this is a great conversation to continue, and we will. Um, you say you say we're out of time, just as my blood pressure is hitting. <laughs> Good lord! Fire us up for episode fifty-three. I'm ready to take it on. Beautiful. All right. Well. Uh, after one year, uh, I will say this has been a great experience, and I do think we're moving the automotive conversation forward. Stefan, what are your no, thoughts no, after no, a year? No, I know no, you, we, I guess we've talked about it, but say something else and then close us out. Yeah, it's been a fabulous year. I think we are clearly presenting different subject matter from different approaches, three different key viewpoints that make it fun and make it interesting. And then we finish with something that may save your life at the end of our, so you have fun listening to us for an hour. And then the last 10 minutes that you may make a decision that saves your life or a loved one's decision. I think that's something that is important to talk about. And uh, I'm glad that we have this venue to do it. Um, Cause you know, our wives quit listening to us a long time ago. So this has been fabulous. So <laughs> like, listen, subscribe, and uh, we'll see you guys on the, first episode of our second year podcast all right